from the New King James Version. You may have a New Living Bible or a New International Version or whatever. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. You let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those who those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me, and you have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said, he will not see our final end, meaning God will do nothing about our sin. Well, that's arrogance if you've ever saw it. Uh, just a couple other verses here. If And God responds to Jeremiah in verse 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how then can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan. Interesting thoughts. Uh, we are certainly dealing with being wearied in all of that's going, all of what's going on. But let me start here by way of introduction before we give you some quick observations on this passage of scripture. I, I want to read a letter that was dated Sunday, September the sixteenth. I won't give you the year yet. Sunday, September the sixteenth. This lady writes, I set myself down to write with a heart depressed, with the melancholy scenes around me. Now, the melancholy scenes around her is that the United States had just been through um, Lexington and Concord, the shot heard around the world, the beginning of the Revolutionary War. She lives in Boston, so... They've just been through the Bunker Hill battle, all right? And there is a third problem that they're dealing with. She says, my letter will be only a bill of mortality, though thanks be to the being who restrained the pestilence, that it has not yet proved mortal to any of our family, Though we live in daily expectation that Patty will not continue many hours. This letter was written in 1775 by Abigail Adams to her husband John Adams, who eventually became President of the United States, but who was in Philadelphia at the Constitutional Convention, dealing with the American Revolution. Now, Patty is, uh, is a lady who works for them, and she wasn't expected to survive the experience of the pestilence. The pestilence was not only happening in Boston, but it was also happening in Philadelphia as well. Pestilences were very common in the United States back in those days. They happened pretty routinely 
And sometimes they were things like yellow fever, and sometimes they were things like uh, consumption, dips, uh, diphtheria, uh, dysentery, or whatever. But they proved to be tragic to people back in that day. Now, Jeremiah begins this chapter by saying, Lord, you're just whenever you deal with me. I come to you and I plead my case with you. And every time I come to you and I plead my case and I share my concerns with you, you are always just. You're always right. Because the Bible is very, very clear that God never does the wrong thing. And it's critical that we understand that. God never makes a mistake. He never does the wrong thing. But notice that his question concern is something that bothers all of us from time to time. He says, you let me talk with you about your judgments. And here's my concern. Here's my question. He raises many questions. He's considered to be the weeping prophet because he lives during desperate times, hard times. Israel does not have a future. future. Judah is just hearing bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. And Jeremiah knows that the reason why things are getting tough and things are going to get tougher is because the children of Israel will not stop sinning and they just are, are just gay about it, are just happy about it, feel secure about it. And if you want to know their approach, when it says here that you are saying that the Lord won't do anything about it, he loves us too much to do anything about it, He cares about his temples here. He certainly isn't going to destroy us because we have the temple here. If he said it once, he has repeated it many times in the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is frustrated. He's very, very frustrated. He's frustrated because the land is distressed because of the sins of the leaders. And many innocent people are suffering as a result of it. In that particular case, that's, that's in a nutshell what we're dealing with. And you'll know that Jeremiah is not the only one who's raised the question on why are those who are wicked prosper? Why are those who are, uh, who are treacherous happy? He's not the only one. Job raised that question in his, own, in his own book. Job in chapter 12 raised that very same question. David raises that same question. It's raised three times in the book of Psalms. Habakkuk raises that question, a minor prophet, and Malachi raises that question twice in his book, last book of the Bible in the Old Testament. See, the wicked are the ones addressed as those who deal treacherously, and notice what he says about them at the end of verse 2. He says, listen, you are near, he's talking about God, he says, God, you are near in their mouths, but you are far from their minds. Well, they talk about you, and they pretend to like you, and they they pretend to be obedient to you, and they pretend that their moral standards are exactly what you'd want it to be, but you're not in their hearts. Now, I want to say this right off the... In fact, uh, look at verses 10 and 11. If you doubt the identity uh, of the people that Jeremiah is talking about in verse 10... Many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. And all you need to do, and I hope you're reading the daily Bible reading, going through the book of Jeremiah, I hope you're going to identify the prophets, the priests, the kings, 
and, of course, the people who follow. Identify them. I don't know who came up with the, uh, it has been a byword, it has been one of those adages for years that two things people don't want to talk about are religion and politics. I'm not going to get political this morning, but I want to tell you this, that Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is all about religion and politics. (laughs) Those two things. And you and I need to read Jeremiah as well as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all of the minor prophets. We need them, if for no other reason, to get a handle on religion and a handle on politics. Because those books are all about... I got a commentary one time years ago that took the minor prophets and said, you know what? The minor prophets is about as up-to-date as you can get any section of Scripture. It's God's Word that makes us wise. It's God's words that help us. The people in Israel are clueless when they say, oh, God's not going to do anything to us. We can do whatever we want. God loves us too much to do anything about it. They're clueless. They're clueless. And Jeremiah spends his 40 years in ministry trying to set them straight. Now, Jeremiah says in verse 3, he says, my heart is toward you. You see how frustrated he is. He says, listen. He says, I'm, I'm, uh, you can tell, you've tested my heart to you. you. Lord, you know that I have a heart for you. I want to obey you. I want to fear you. You know, we have an opportunity to either fear man or fear God. There's too much fear of man in our day and age and not enough fear of God. Amen? That's true. That is true. And so notice what Jeremiah says in verse 3 in his frustration. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Pull all of those who feign their godliness, but there's no godliness in their heart. Pull them out of the flock. We're the flock, Lord. Pull them out of the flock and take them to the slaughter is what he's saying. You and I would look at that and say, wow, Jeremiah, you're pretty upset. He is. He is very upset. And then he asks another question in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end. He doesn't care. He's not going to do it. How long? That's a tough question, isn't it? By the way, that's another, when you read the book of Jeremiah, you can just gather characteristics of the people of Israel from the top leadership, from the king all the way down through the prophets to the priests to the people. And you can just keep putting those characteristics there and putting those characteristics there. And, um, but that how long question is a pretty tough question. Now, notice in verse 4 that it's the natural physical world that is being, what can I say here, oppressed in these two verses, in this verse, verse 4. The land mourns, herbs of every field wither, beasts and birds are consumed, and it's all because of the wickedness of those who dwell there. And you'll say, oh, Pastor Witt, are you, are you, are you getting ready to say that it is the sin of uh, man that has caused this pandemic? Well, how many times do we have to remind ourselves that 
we wouldn't be dealing ever with any pandemics. We wouldn't be dealing with any sickness. We wouldn't be dealing with death. We wouldn't be dealing with anything had Adam and Eve not sinned in the Garden of Eden. Right? And did God not curse the earth back in the Garden of Eden? So whether or not you and I want to suggest that this is any specific sin or not, doesn't really, it's not really the issue. The issue is that we live in a cursed earth and we have to deal with these issues because they come to us time and time and time again. It's just one of those things. Now, can we make a case for it being specific sins? Yes. If you'll read the book of Jeremiah, you'll find that Jeremiah lists many different things that the children of Israel are doing that are, that, are, that are going to receive the judgment of God, including this particular judgment here. But if I were to explain Abigail Adams' letter to her husband, John, who's at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, and he would understand this because of the problem that they're having there. This was all in the late summer and fall of 1775, and the epidemic had ripped through their ranks, and Adam's younger brother, Eli, he was a captain in the militia, camped beside the Charles River at Cambridge. He was stricken, and he died, leaving a wife and three children. At Braintree, where the Adams family lived, they were not spared the, the epidemic. Abigail, then 30 years old, said it was the worst ordeal of her life. She quotes, Such is the distress of the neighborhood that I can scarcely find a well person to assist me in looking after the sick. So mortal a time the oldest man does not remember. She had lamented in a letter to John that as to politics, I know nothing about them. I have wrote so much as I am able to being very, very weak. Mrs. Randall, quote, I'm quoting her. Mrs. Randall has lost her daughter. Mrs. Brackett hers. Mr. Thomas Thayer, his wife, she reported. I know of eight this week also having been buried in this town. Parson Wilbird was so ill he could scarcely take a step. We have been four Sabbaths without any meeting in church. Their three-year-old Tommy was so wretchedly sick that, we're, that were you to look upon him, you would not know him. And of course, Abigail was constantly scrubbing the house with hot vinegar. Woe follows woe. One affliction treads upon the heel of another, she wrote. Some families have lost three, some four, some five. Some families were entirely gone. Now, I'm not comparing that pandemic to this one. I'm not comparing it, but I am comparing the human, the human response, the depression, the anxiety, the fear. Those are the things that worry me. Those are the things that concern me. And the reason why they concern me is because God has a reply. God has a reply to Jeremiah in this particular passage of Scripture. And notice what he says in verses 5 and 6. And these will be the last two verses specifically we'll refer to in this. And then, and then I have a string of ones that I want to bring to your attention. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, 
then how can you contend with horses? See, life is like a race, and Jeremiah is talking about serving God and living for God as if it's a race. And he says, listen, if you have been running with footmen, I went out for track when I was in high school, and I ran with footmen. I was always last. I don't know why I couldn't be better than I was. I, I was short for one, but, but the point is I was running with footmen, and that was okay. Even though I was last, I was still with the pack. But God says to Jeremiah, what are you going to do when you have to run with horses? What are you going to do when we put you on the starting line and we say to a horse and we say to you, go? What are you going to do then? You're going to be left in the dust. See? And so he makes this analogy. He says, listen. He says, right now you're living in the land of peace. Look at what he says here. If in the land of peace in which you trusted they worry you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? If you're not making it in the land of peace, what are you going to do when things get a little harder? Now, I've been to the Holy Land. In 1974, I remember being in Jordan, and we were crossing the Jordan River into Israel. Now, there's two mountain ranges, one in Jordan and one in Israel, and you go down the mountain range in Jordan, and when you get out of the mountain, you come to the plain of Jordan, which is miles across on both sides of the Jordan River. But when you get close to the Jordan River, you descend another bit into what is known as the floodplain of the Jordan. And back then, in those days, back then in 1974, and I say it that way because I love the, you know, there's a, there's a little marginal note in your Bible that will tell you that this is either referring to the floodplains of the Jordan or the thickets of Jordan. But even if you see a picture of the Jordan River as it meanders down through the Jordan River Valley, you'll see that there's this depression that is just as green as it can be. And you say, well, the Jordan River must be winding its way through that green section. I'm going to tell you something. That's about as rough a territory as you're ever going to find in your life. When we descended into that green territory, it was like going into a deep, thick jungle. How many have been there? A big, a deep, thick jungle. We got there, and I said, Wow. I always thought the Jordan River flowed through a nice pasture ground, you know. And here it is, thickets all over the place. And uh, in fact, you can't see anything. You're down there in the Jordan River, and you just, uh, it's, just, it's a horrible, horrible spot, and it's hot down there. You know, you're almost at the lowest point of the surface of the earth when you're there. And, and, and that's what Jeremiah is hearing from God. If, you can't, if, you, if you're wearied over all of this in the land of peace, uh, uh, Babylon hasn't destroyed Israel yet. Yes, there's droughts. Yes, there's pestilence. Yes, there's this. Yes, there's that. But listen, if you're worried now, what's going to happen when you have to go through the thickets of the Jordan? That's all he says. Now, it gets better. We don't have time to go through the passage of Scripture, but it gets better. It gets better. Because God always is going to bless his people I want to read you part two of the letter in closing here for Abigail Adams. All right? 
after she says, after she says that Patty will not continue many hours, and she continues her letter a little bit in part B, she comes back and she says, and unto him who mounts the whirlwind, who's him referred to? Unto God. And directs the storm, God. I will cheerfully leave the ordering of my lot. I will cheerfully leave the ordering of my lot. And whether adverse or prosperous days should be my future portion, I will trust in his right hand to lead me safely through. Amen. And after a short rotation of events, fix me in a state immutable and happy. All he's referring to there is, well, if something happens here, I'm going to end up in heaven. The new heaven and the new earth one day. They were strong believers in the new heaven and the new earth, by the way, back then those days. And so he says, and every time she says adieu, which is a French word, right? I think when I read her letters that that's, that's what she's referring to. I need not say how sincerely I am affectionate, Abigail Adams, to John Adams. Now, I want, I want you to be aware of this one thing. And we're going to close with this. We're going to be done in a couple of minutes here. But I want you to be aware of this one thing. That the problems in Israel or Judah at this time are physical in nature I mean, God has brought drought to the land. God has affected the natural processes. Um, God has affected all of this. And Jeremiah alludes to that in verse 4 when he says that the land mourns. You know the day is coming when God says that the world is not going to mourn anymore, right? The world is going to rejoice when God lifts the curse. Romans 8, when God lifts the curse... And God recreates this world for us when Jesus comes back again and he gives it to us in its pristine condition. Right? You all aware of that? Yes. I refer to it enough, I would think that we'd all be aware of that. But I want you to notice something. This is, I mean, she could have chosen to, to, uh, to conclude that letter in different ways, but she goes to God and she says, God, you're in control. You know, when I, and pardon me for saying this, but when I see the fear that people have that this earth is getting so hot it's going to burn up, you know they're not thinking God is in control. Let's be honest about it. We have a world that is just dismissing God in almost every area of life, and it's tragic. It's tragic for us. But the fact of the matter is, that Jeremiah begins his book and he, he talks about God's control from beginning to end. Now, I'm not going to refer to chapter 4, I'm not going to refer to chapter 5, but turn to chapter 5 for just a second. We'll just refer to two or three verses that bring us up to the daily Bible reading for this week, okay? In chapter 5, verses 22 and 24, we'll skip over the beginning part of the chapter that has some information. In chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, Do you not fear me, says the Lord? And what is supposed to be your motivation for fearing me? 
Will you not tremble in my presence? Now, fearing God is being in awestruck with his power and his glory and his majesty. It's a healthy respect that we're to have for God. And if we have a healthy respect for God, we're going to live the way God wants us to live. Amen? But notice what he says here. He says, will you not tremble at my presence who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it. And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail though they roar. They cannot pass over. Verse 24, who gives rain, middle of verse 24, who gives rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. And you know, those are words that are very, very important to the children of Israel because they're just coming through a drought. Lord, why? Lord, how long? But Lord, we know you're in control. We know you control the forces of nature. And like I've said before, God controls the forces of nature that allows uh, a a virus to grow and spread like wildfire. But he also controls the forces of nature to eradicate it, to mitigate it, and to destroy it. Does all of that. How about chapter 8, verse 13? So you see, we're really close to chapter 12, so we're not going to go too far. Almost done here. Chapter 8, verse 13. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Negative, but who's in control? God's in control. And then finally, chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. Chapter 10, verses 12. Now, we could go through the book, and we could refer to passages. I, I will tell you this. I read through the book of Jeremiah. In preparation for this, I, I like to sit down, and I like to read the whole book through, and read it through as many times as I can, or portions of it many times. So I spent, uh, like, Thursday morning or something, or Thursday or Friday, hours and hours and hours, not this, but just, just going through the whole book. And every time I would come to a passage of Scripture where God declares that he is in control of the physical world in which we live, my heart would perk up. And after I read half a dozen of those, I said, how come my heart is perking up? How come my heart is, is calm when I'm reading these passages of Scripture where God is in control of the physical world in which we live? Well, that's it. That's it. Because if God is in control and we trust the living God, then he ultimately is the solution to any problem, right? Now, here are the verses, and we'll close with this, okay? In chapter 10, verses 12 through 16, he has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasures. And we don't even have to go any further. But I will say this, that as you read these passages of Scripture, you're going to discover shortly after chapter 12 that God says, you know, the sword of the Lord that gives rain can take it away. If necessary. 
Isn't that something? Think about it. My final application would be that we need to acknowledge God's power and control over all of his creation and over all of the, you know, he is in control of nature. Who was it? Somebody just said this a couple of days ago. I liked it so well. I think I asked if I could use this. God is in control and he's even in control over men who are out of control. Right? Amen. Well, I, I don't know about you, but that was an encouragement to me. I didn't want to get in the pulpit this morning and just, I wanted to try to encourage us with the outlook because, uh, boy, that question, how long, is pretty, pretty serious issue. And um, it's a pretty big concern that we have. And with the school system, uh, school coming and wondering what's going to happen with school, you know, because we love kids and we would love for kids to be in school. We think they ought to be in school. We think there ought to be protections maybe for, um, uh, well, anyway, I won't say anything more. Pray about it. Will you pray about it? Pray about it? Okay, let's close the Lord, close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that even knowing that you're in control of this world in which we live will lead many to the place where we need to stop, look, and listen to you and to trust you. And Father, what an assurance it is for us to know that our lives are secure in your hands regardless of what happens anywhere in this universe because we know you personally have responded to your offer to save us from our sin through the death and resurrection of your Son, Christ Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. And we pray, we pray, Lord, that you would open the hearts of people to respond to that great news. We have more good news to share than bad news at any time. In your precious name, amen. Let's all stand together as we close the service. Into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, will you come to him and say, Lord, I, I want to be saved. I want you to save me from my sin. And if you need to be praying for a relative and friend or a neighbor or a coworker, do that as we sing today. Would you do that, please? Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to meet together. We pray, Lord, for your protection. Keep us safe and healthy. And Lord, we ask that your grace, mercy, and peace will rest and abide with us till we meet again in your precious name. Amen.